Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. everyone welcome back to pod side picnic i am not joined by pete this time but uh you know pete said something about going off to the woods to some remote (laughs) musical venue i don't know what's going on there i'm sure he's got it under control as always um but i am joined by she's snickering right now in the background i am joined by one of our favorite recurring guests here on Podside Picnic. That is author, tweeter, all-around cosmopolitan Kiwi intellectual, Emma Burquist. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's exactly how I would describe myself. Thank you. <laughs> I guess you're uh, Kiwi-American or American Kiwi, as the case may be. I'm not I'm, really sure I'm which is wor- which. I'm working on the dual citizenship. And then once I get the passport, we're all set. And it's over for you hoes. And that Texas accent will will give way to that mellifluous uh, Wellington accent, and it'll all be a done deal. All right. Well, as you may have guessed, if you're an astute watcher of my Twitter feed or you picked up on the cue in my joke about Pete, um, not a joke. He is doing that. But uh, (laughs) anyway, we're discussing a movie that um, pushes the boundaries for this podcast a little bit because it's more horror and some other genres than it is sci-fi or fantasy, but I think it's a really good one. I think it's appropriate for us for a lot of reasons, as we'll get into. That is Green Room, written and directed by Jeremy Saulnier from 2015. Uh, It has Anton Yelchin, May He Rest in Peace, and Patrick Stewart, and uh, some other recognizable faces. And honestly, I think it's, you could say, at the box office, it wasn't that big of a hit, but it really has been, I think, on streaming services, one of the big indie hits of the last decade. Yeah, it's one of those ones, it's called, you know, sort of a cult movie, but I I mean, I actually think it did pretty well considering. Um, I mean, I I don't think it made up its budget, but, you know, I I think it it made a little bit more than its budget in the box office, which is... You know, not the end of the world for an indie. Mm-hmm. It, it made a little bit of money, but like I, I think it's been on Netflix for years now, and it's been a big. Mm-hmm. You know, it's always on those lists of like best movies to watch on Netflix, and I'm sure that millions of people have seen it for that reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I want to start by asking our esteemed guest Emma, uh, when did you first see this one? So I saw it when it came out, um, not in the theaters. I don't think Cause we we get movies like two to three months after the fact, um, usually. I mean, it depends on the movie, obviously. But uh, so I ended up just renting it um, as soon as it came out. And yeah, it ended up being really a really good movie to watch at home just because it is one of those movies where you sometimes need to take a little bit of a break and just stand up and go for a walk and then come back. (laughs) Um, It's, I mean, I know everyone talks about the scene with the hands, uh, the door scene, as the I call door it. Scene, yeah. So, I, but I mean, there's a reason for that. It's like that's sort of just 
one of the most visceral, upsetting scenes in a lot of movies. Um, and I remember thinking at the time that, like, oh, I don't know, neo Nazis is kind of like an easy villain. <laughs> And like, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Nazis. Who would ever run yeah, into a like, Nazi in the 21st century? Yeah. Come on. Back in the back in the Halcyon days, of like you know, early 2016. <laughs> it is funny to think this movie came out about five years ago, exactly. Yeah. And um, yeah, you could like you could turn up if you turn over enough rocks on the internet, you could find a Nazi. Yeah. But yeah. I think that the idea of like you know organized American Nazis or fascists was. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty laughable and and what i mean maybe on the pacific northwest like where this is set yeah um, but you know i i think it, it seemed like oh now nah, it's kind of unbelievable and now it's like oh oh yeah no that's that's completely accurate yeah and for anyone who hasn't seen it i think first of all what you should do is turn this off go on netflix where this is streaming for free and go watch green room right now because we're going to spoil it um but if you're going to keep listening and you haven't seen it, I will say, just so that we're all clear on this, this is about a band, a punk band, mm-hmm. um, totally broke in that great band tradition, driving their van around the country. They're they're from D.C. They're very far from home. They're out in the rural Pacific Northwest, I think, in Oregon. Um, and they get a really badly paying gig at this tiny town. They're thinking about just heading back, but they're totally out of cash. So they get offered a fairly well-paid gig at this uh, venue that's out in the woods in the middle of nowhere and they get warned in advance that there's one slight hitch which is that this venue is political Mm. uh which turns out to mean that it's owned and is a hangout for some organized violent neo-nazis white nationalists whatever you want to call them bad dudes and bad ladies and this is where they get it together out in the woods um and these are like these are sort of you know these are not like your proud boy Boogaloo Reddit guys. These are like yeah, these violent are the, gangsters. These yeah. are the skinheads, and they're quite serious. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the really delightful things about this movie, so things go south, obviously, as you might have guessed. This is a horror. I would I would describe it as a slasher. We're going to get Emma's mm-hmm. take on that. But, um, it, you know, it, it, there's a couple of unexpected delights in it. One is that Patrick Stewart almost never plays villains. And mm-hmm. in this, he is a really, he's a top tier uh-huh. movie villain. He's so don't you good. Think? Oh, he's he's fantastic. It he does that thing that I that um, Philip Seymour Hoffman did in like Mission Impossible, where there's almost more menace because they're playing it so subtle and so understated. And it's like he never loses his cool. And it's just so much scarier. Yeah, absolutely. He has that perfect kind of British stage actor poise. Um, He plays the leader of this organization and the owner of this bar and he's really you know he's charming that's mm-hmm. one of the great things about him in this role he, he does a really nice job charming this group that's trapped in his green room um where they've witnessed a murder and therefore can't be let go um he does a great job charming them into surrendering their gun yeah. which is some of the only leverage and, and they I mean, have like he's he's polite the whole time like even when he's killing them and he's polite and even when he like yells at one of his underlings he immediately apologizes yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, he plays it pitch perfectly, and I would love to know. Maybe I could find this out on the internet. I should look it up. But I'd love to know how much of that was uh, in the script and how much of that was Patrick Stewart mm. using his immense gravitas and being like, "Jeremy, Jeremy, yeah. come here, Jeremy. Let me tell you how this is going to go." Um, I'll bet you there was some of that that happened. Uh, Probably, yeah. Um, yeah. So let's get down to the genre stuff here, which is always one of my favorite topics. Um, you know, I. 
Trying to, I'm trying to pull back up the questions that I asked you. Mm-hmm. Um, whoops. Come on, computer's being stupid. Now I'm reading about you drinking boxed wine in our DMs. <laughs> that was an accusation. I do not drink boxed wine. <laughs> no, that's right. You drink nice, bottled, mid-range New Zealand whites. I know. I know. Um, <laughs> I, you you probably, drink me- the white, probably drink the White Haven. That's the one that I was drinking tonight. Um, <laughs> probably. I know they're all called something like Two Rivers or I don't know. Something like that. I think the question was if I consider this a slasher. Yeah. So do you consider it a slasher? Yes, I 100% consider this a slasher. And I, I know Sonny, I said that he doesn't necessarily consider it a horror movie. Like, and that's fine. He doesn't have to. But I certainly do. I would put this in the horror section. I don't think there's much that separates this from, say, like a, a classic slasher movie other than, you know, like the villains aren't wearing masks. I mean, but they do have a signifier. They do have like red laces. That's that's something. But I mean, they're, you know, it's a group of people against an unstoppable force. And I mean, I think that's there. There's a guy, you know, there's a machete. When you've got people being killed with a machete, I feel like you're firmly in the horror category. Yeah, it has gore. Mm-hmm. It has that sense of of hopelessness and vulnerability that's constantly. Um, that, that mixes with the claustrophobia of literally being trapped in the green room. Yeah. You've got people getting picked off one by one, being killed in like different and creative ways. Yeah. There's a lot of really creative yeah. methods of killing because even though this group has guns, this is one of the great things about like American violence in American screen is that like because guns are so easy to get in the U.S., you need to come up with reasons why characters don't use them. And this <laughs> is a great reason. It's like he's trying to cover up, you know, the fact that these people witnessed a murder so they can't shoot them if they shoot them the cops are going to investigate you know so he's like oh we want to kill them in a way that's going to look like they just had an accident yeah so uh, you know patrick stewart again this is big time spoilers but he comes up with this whole plan by the way patrick stewart's name in this is darcy which is a great name for like a weird white supremacist villain yeah and he's got the little like uh you know news cap he's just he's so distinguished Yeah, I mean, honestly, this movie could have been really good um, with just any, you know, another good actor in that role. But like Mm -hmm. with Patrick Stewart, it really puts it over the top. Um, He has this whole plot about like it's it's appropriate for the characters because we've seen these characters because they're so broke. They siphon Mm -hmm. gas for their van. He has this whole plan about how he's going to have their bodies found, making it look like they broke into his property and were siphoning gas and his his guard dogs attacked them. Mm Um, and there are a lot of, there's a lot of dog violence in this. I think mm-hmm. that Sonia has a real dog, wolf, werewolf thing mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. that he hints at in this. Like, there's actually moments in this movie where I was like, did he originally write this as a werewolf movie? Because there's moments where, like, it could have turned into that almost. Yeah, and it's, uh, he kind of skirts that line. Um, and he does that in the next one, too, Hold the Dark, which is, like, a movie about sort of hunting wolves in Alaska. And there's, like, a lot of sort of weird... Mytholo- like weird mythology, creepy things that happen that sort of are on that that line of like, is this fantasy or is this reality? Yeah, and I will. I have a confession, which is that this is the only full length feature I've seen by mm-hmm. Sony. I've seen episodes of TV he's directed. Everyone keeps mm-hmm. telling me to watch Blue Ruin, which Blue I plan great. to do. It, I mean, it's it's. I think it's actually almost tighter than Green Room, and, and I will point out that Green Room and Blue Ruin are both have things that I love, which is that it's like a tight ninety minutes because that's exactly what. <laughs> Or horror movie should be. You don't need much more than that. Then you're just. That's what most movies out. should be. Honestly. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Exactly. Um, and but Blue Rune is is great, and it actually um, stars uh, the what's his name, Macon Blair, and he plays 
Gabe in this movie, sort of like um, the helper who's basically the one that kind of helps him in the end, who is treating this whole thing like it's like a day at work that he just really doesn't want to be there. Oh, yeah, that guy. He's like yeah. the, the, the Nebishi Nazi. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's it, it actually works really well. But he's um, very scary in Blue Ruin. And and Blue Ruin is great because it's, it's the same thing, like just really visceral, really tight action sequences. Very um, sparse dialogue. Um, but everything that's said is like said directly and then those long moments of silence yeah i i'm at this point i'm really champing at the bit to see blue room just because i do love green room mm-hmm. on a rewatch i i think that for the benefit of our listeners we should dig in a little bit into some of these details um mm-hmm. of how this is a slasher and i think that uh how would you, i'm gonna ask you this emma i know it's a, it's a squeamish question but <laughs> how would you describe the door scene <laughs> <laughs> um i mean it's it's great because you don't see the actual wound happening. Like you, you can just you just hear it. You just hear his name's Pat in this, but Anthony Elchin. You you just hear his reaction and him straining to get his arm back. And then when it does come back in, it is one of the most like gory things that you could put on screen. It is like a close up of just like his his hand is almost cut completely off and you see it. Yeah. To give context, uh, he is giving back the gun to these Nazis through the door, which, of course, is incredibly stupid. And it's sort of, you know, it's one of those classic things. I think I think this is where I take a detour to say I think Sonia is really interested in the realistic stupidity of people because mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. of course, you shouldn't give up the gun. It's obvious right. you shouldn't give up the gun in this situation. However, if, if someone convinces you that there's like, you know, there's some sense of security in giving it up, if they charm you enough and it's like, well, maybe we can just make this all go away. Like you, you would probably do it or might well do it at least. Yeah. Um, so, you know, after much discussion and charming from Patrick Stewart through the door, Anton Yelchin, uh, one of these band members is going to hand this gun back through this steel door outside the green room and halfway through handing it off, this whole group that's being held hostage has a realization that they, they shouldn't give up the gun and the Nazis on the other side of the door start slamming the steel door on his forearm. And like Emma said, it almost severs his hand and like, Mm -hmm. you know, makes these deep fracturing gashes in his forearm that they have to repair with duct tape. Like Mm -hmm. it, it almost cuts the, the, the wrist and the forearm at various places. Mm -hmm. It's like such a bold choice that you don't really need to have in the movie, but it, it really heightens the sense of like visceral distress. Right. See, I think you do need it because that is the, almost exactly the halfway point of the movie. And that is where it turns. And it goes from this, like, being locked in this confined room, trying to make the right choices, making good and bad decisions, to real visceral violence. That's because, actually a great point, yeah. Because before then, all we, see, we we have a dead body, but we don't see any of that. And we have, you know, you know, fighting over the gun, but everyone's alive, everyone's unharmed. And then it immediately goes into just the most brutal wound you can think of and then right after that they kill the other guy slice him and then it just from there it just keeps going and that really is the turn in the movie and i think you need that signifier there that's to see this this folks this is why we have veteran storytellers on the show because they (laughs) teach us things about storytelling and emma just made actually I'm, i'm teasing her but that's actually a really phenomenal point that she made which is that this, it's a turn. It's the halfway point in the movie. And in any story, especially screenplays, but in any story, that halfway point 
is really important. Uh, I think Blake Schneider, the famous screenplay beat sheet guy, said the halfway point is when things are going really great or really mm-hmm. terrible. For these right. cr- this crew, it's going really terrible. Yeah. But it's also interesting because it, it looked like things maybe could have started going better at that point. Right, right. Um, it's like you think there's a way out, and then this is when you realize they are not going to get out of this. And then every time you think things can't get worse, they get worse. Exactly. So, And, and I think that the point you made about changing... And getting into visual horror is a really important mm-hmm. point about genre, which is that this goes from kind of a moody, mm-hmm. um, sort of stylized, atmospheric suspense story into a slasher at that moment. Right. And that's when I would say it crosses the line from just being a thriller into being a horror movie. Yeah, that's a great point. I think we've, uh, we're have we doing some really important original scholarship on the subject <laughs> of Green Room. That's actually great. I mean, I'm teasing you, but it is, it is great. Um, I know that you happen to be a bit of a slasher connoisseur. Is that accurate? I, I mean, I very much enjoy horror movies in general, and that, I mean, I do think it's a really interesting genre. I mean, um, you're a horror writer, to be clear. Yes, yes, I do. But, um, you know, if usually, or at least up until this point, I've sort of done things that are more speculative in nature, and I am slowly moving into things that are more realistic, including right, and this is and this is a great case study in realistic horror, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So on that note, I'm kind of curious, we'll get back to Green Room, but I'm kind of curious, like, what movies did this remind you of? Like, what, or just even, I shouldn't say that. What are some of your other favorite movies that are kind of in a, in a similar vein to this or just other slashers? So, I mean, obviously, for me, like, the, the one of the pinnacle slashers is, is Scream. And I know Scream is working off ones that came before, but it, it was pivotal for me because it was coming out at a time when I was really starting to, to watch. It was, like, probably the first really scary horror movie I'd seen at, you know, like a sleepover. <laughs> so it really made an impression on me. Um, and then I went back and sort of watched the originals. Um, but Scream is always going to have like a special place in my idea of what a slasher is. Um, but I think in in terms of this movie, it could, because what's interesting to me is not just that it's a slasher, it's that it also is this sort of um, one location sort of being trapped in an area with that element of like claustrophobia. And so I think something that's similar would be um, Panic Room. Which doesn't hmm. really get, I think, as much attention as some of Fincher's other stuff. And I, I don't think it's his, you know, greatest movie or even a particularly strong movie of his. But I do think it's a solid little thriller. And it has the same kind of claustrophobia trapped in one place while people are trying to infiltrate where you are for, you know, villainous reasons. Yeah, I remember seeing ads for Panic Room when I was a kid mm-hmm. and being like, that movie has a really stupid title. It looks really stupid. So I'm glad that yeah. you disabused me of that. It's, I don't. I mean, I, I think because he has much stronger movies, it, it is often overlooked, but I think it's it's a really tight little movie and, you know, it has a strong cast. It's got, you know, Jodie Foster and, and Jared Leto and even like baby Kristen Stewart. Like it's it's a good pared down movie. And I mean, Fincher does that style really well. Um, and then I would also maybe include Don't Breathe, which came out just a few years ago. And I'm trying to stick with like slightly newer stuff because there's this sort of Things that are this movie, I would say, and Solnia stuff is probably part of like the new wave of art house horror, the one that they like tried to call death wave, but I don't think anyone is using that term now. So it's just like art house horror, which is like, you know, we've got Ari Aster, we've got Robert Eggers, and all these people doing these interesting things. Um, And I think Don't Breathe is kind of along those lines, uh, which is I don't know if you saw it. It's the one where they're trying to rob a house, um, and there's like a blind guy that lives there, but it turns out he's like insane 
him. Like, oh, spoilers. Well, it, I mean, it's got, it's in the preview, but it's, um, who is the guy? He's the guy, the really, the Marine from Avatar is what else he was Oh, that in. guy, yeah. Yeah, that guy. <laughs> so he's like kind of scary. So then it turns around and then they're trying to escape him. Um, and then I also really love Adam Wingard. And so... I think Your Next is another fair comparison, but Your Next is much lighter in tone than Green Room. It has like some of the same violence, but there's like a lot of humor to it too. Like when people get killed, like a guy gets killed with like getting a blender to his skull. Like it's kind of funny. <laughs> that sounds like Tucker and Dale versus Evil, which of course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like there's some some silly stuff in it that just makes it a lot easier to watch. Um, but it is the same where it's like a uh, you know people trapped inside this house and people outside trying to kill them only it's uh people with like masks and crossbows tight okay we got some good wrecks there thank you um i have some work to do because i'm not a slasher connoisseur i like some i like some particular ones like uh halloween you know one of the yeah or or slashers um i mean i think if you're gonna watch like an adam wingard movie and like i like your next but i think you would probably like the guest i think that one the is guest the podcast yeah. guest Right, exactly. Well, but um, I just think uh, that one's probably more your style. It's it's still scary, but I feel like you would what, like. What's that my more. style? I'm I'm curious. I don't know. I feel like it's a little bit more elevated. It's not quite as gory because I know you don't always love the gore. That's true. I don't love gore. I will tolerate yeah. it. And I think mm-hmm. I think in a good movie like Green Room, I'm totally okay with it. I think that mm-hmm. I'm turned off by like. I like a lot of pulpy stuff. As we know in this mm. show, I use that word favorably a lot of the time. I don't like pulpy horror. Yeah. And I, and I think your next is a little, it's like a little gratuitous over the top, like intentionally. But I mean, I you just have to be in the mood for that or you have to, to like that kind of stuff. But I would say the guest, maybe Panic Room. Okay. Well, thanks for the Rex. Um, mm-hmm. I know that you have been working on a slasher project yourself and I want to hear yes. about that. Um if it's okay if I can ask, though, what yes. uh, what has drawn you towards the slasher <laughs> genre lately? <laughs> well, I've always loved um, the classic horror genres. And like like I said, so I did a zombie book and I did a ghost book. Um, and I wanted to do something that was a little bit more grounded in the real world because I've been moving. Because my zombie book was, they're not actual zombies. It's like a, a disease, but it was something set in the past. And then the modern book I did was the ghost book. And so that's got, you know, sort of fantasy elements. And so I was thinking, okay, I'll do something more realistic. Um, and then I got stabbed. And then it was like, oh, that seems like maybe that's a sign. <laughs> uh, just one close there. And yeah. then I got stabbed. And, uh... and then there's, you know, maybe I should do that. That might be a good thing for me to try and write about. Yeah, I, I, and I, I know honestly we can edit some of this out if you, if you don't like um, the way this is going. I'm, I, I, I'm teasing you, but I also want you to be comfortable. And I mean, do you want to elaborate at all on the stabbing, or should I just tell sure, people sure, to go no, read no, your medium article about no, it? No, no, I mean, I'll. No, it's fine. The, I'm totally fine talking about it. I have gotten like after I wrote the article, a bunch of people were like, "Hey, do you want to come on our podcast and talk about it?" I was like, "No, I don't want to talk about like one of the worst things that's happened to me with a total stranger, actually." Um, but I'm happy to talk about it with like my friends and stuff. Um, Oh, thanks Emma. Yeah. Well, you know, I also, you know, it's been, it's been about six months, but yeah. So I was, um, stabbed six months ago. I was just taking my dog, uh, for a walk in a park and a, a very disturbed young man, um, ran up behind me and grabbed me and yeah, started stabbing me. So that, um, 
was an experience. <laughs> and I mean, I'm okay, but it certainly changed the way that I think about slashers. And because if you, if I were to write a story like that, there, it, the amount of randomness that happened, like I, I have never met this person before and he, he chose me out of a number of people who were at the park that day. And there isn't, there isn't any like reason to that. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't make sense as a story because there's no connection there and there's no motive. But I do also think that one of the scariest things about say Michael Myers is that he doesn't have a motive other than the fact that he's, you know, crazy. But we right. don't even know if he is crazy. Like, I mean, he's a bit at an institution, but we don't know anything about him because he doesn't say anything. And the guy that stabbed me didn't say anything to me, which is what made it so creepy. He didn't say, oh, I didn't know Yeah, okay. no, he didn't say anything. And like, because like, I, I mean, I was obviously yelling at him, like, you know, stop stabbing me, stop doing this. Um, but yeah, he didn't say anything. So I still don't know why he attacked me. And like, I probably won't know because it's, it's, you know, there's legal issues now because, um, you know, I mean, he pled guilty. So that's that's good. And he's, you know, going to be in a place where he can't hurt anyone. But but I still, you know, I I still can't ask questions like, you know, like, why did you decide to do this? Like, what was it about me that set you off? Oh, I mean, so, yeah. it's the most trite thing to say, but that's that is obviously very disturbing. And thanks yeah. for sharing. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I've I said mean, it I've... before, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> oh, oh, I was just yeah, no, I'm perfectly comfortable sharing it now it's fine like i mean i posted pictures of all the stab wounds it's i'm, <laughs> I'm no, you did exactly. you have some great and you're, gonna some, you're gonna get some cool tattoos on at least one of them yeah I think, right well so i've got like because he so he stabbed me six times that like needed stitches and then like a couple that were just like lacerations that they could use like the little butterfly stitches on so those ones are pretty small but like the big ones i think i might get covered up with like i don't know some cool skulls or something I, I have to, that's going to be awesome, first of all. Yeah. And I have to out myself a little bit as an unintentional jerk because <laughs> I remember around the time this happened, you know, over what would have been our winter and the height of your summer down there, um, I was teasing you because you were like kind of sulky <laughs> online. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Uh, and you were kind of like, you were, you were making it clear that you were not really writing much. And... <laughs> The way that you framed it was like, you're like, oh, like, I just don't really feel like working lately. I'm feeling like kind of down. And I was giving you a lot of shit. I was like, Emma, you need to get, you don't have anything going on in your life. <laughs> you need to get up off the couch and do some damn writing. And you, you, you're like, you know, we, I, I teased you. We went back and forth. We bantered about it. And then like a month later, you were like, oh yeah, by the way, that was when I got stabbed. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. It's really hard to just drop that into conversation. <laughs> you can't just be like, by the way, guess what happened to me on Friday? <laughs> I, I, I have all the sympathy in the world, and I'm glad that you handled it in the way that worked for you. It was just really funny. <laughs> When I, like, I'd been giving you so much shit. That was what made it funny, right? Like, I'd been teasing you, and you'd been saying things to me like, oh, like, I fell down on a hike. I'm like, what? No, like, who no, cares that you fell down I, on a hike? I said, I said I was involved in an accident while I was hiking, which is not incorrect. And then I said that I got an infection, which is also not incorrect, because I did get, in, one of the wounds got infected. I think you said something, yes, you said something like, I had an accident while I was hiking, and I was like, oh, my, oh, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. 
and it's just it's not healing it's not healing the way that it's supposed to and I'm like alright well what this isn't this should stop even getting writing done or whatever like, I know you must think I'm like the weakest like Byronic hero who like fell down and like gashed her leg on a rock like oh no no it's infected <laughs> No, I really, I, I, I didn't really think you were weak. I just had to tease you about it. But I, I definitely don't think you're weak now because I'll tell you this. I could not have kept in the whole I got stabbed thing as long as you did. <laughs> you held on to it for, I think, over a month and then finally posted a yeah. mega viral medium article about I, it. Well, I had, to, I had to get my thoughts in order about it. Yeah, and I know that you're you're a fiction writer with serious integrity because your first thought wasn't, I need to cash in with a nonfiction book. <laughs> well, first of all, it like it, it's just not... That I mean, it's an interesting story, but only like for a chapter. Like there really isn't anything afterwards. Like what am I gonna do? Like, ex- like the ho- the hospital is so boring. It's so fucking boring. There is nothing to do there, and they put me on the maternity ward. <laughs> I don't know why. I think because it was like quiet, or there were like other women there. And I was just like, okay, I guess yeah, it's kind of se- it sexist, honestly. I know, right? I mean, although the baby that you're going to have from this is going to be your slasher <laughs> novel. So, that's right. <laughs> um, well, I I think that that's like, yeah, well, I, I will say this. I can also tell, this is a compliment, by the way. I can tell that you're a true blue genre writer because you're saying it's a boring story. Whereas if you were a literary writer, you'd be like, yeah, but like I can construct this incredible, you know, domestic narrative about how this how this could have happened like all the all the subtle things that may have happened in this boy's family to make him do this and instead you're just like that's a, that's a fucking boring no. story a good story <laughs> you got i mean come on like one attack where no one even dies is really not that interesting you got to have like multiple teenagers getting killed in creative ways then yeah, you have see? a story there you go. This is take it from the mouth of an accomplished horror writer folks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just one stabbing like that is just not that interesting at the end of the day. <laughs> it's not. I mean, like, I survived. Like, I mean, it's fine. <laughs> well, Emma, I sincerely, I'm, I have to tease you, but I sincerely appreciate you sharing that on our show. Um, <laughs> folks that are listening to this, please don't tweet at Emma too much about this with questions you may have, because I know she gets tired of it, but um, I, I mean, do you appreciate can. You it's fine. It. I, I, I try not to bring it too much up, like, too much, because I, I don't want to, like, wear out... <laughs> The usefulness of it. I was like, I don't know. You're going to have to. <laughs> eventually, you're going to have to put in your bio on Twitter, why a writer who got stabbed. <laughs> I I put unkillable in my bio, and that's unkillable. true. Fair yes. enough. All right. Yeah, that's like Steven Seagal. You are hard that's to right. kill. I'm hard to kill. Can't be killed. Well, um, so yeah, that was a that was one of our more, uh, our more emotionally authentic moments on this show, despite <laughs> all the teasing. Um... I think it might, unless you have more you want to say about it, which please do. Um, I, th- I think I want to get back to Green Room and yeah, say... Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Well, I don't... I mean, I think you mostly grew up... I mean, you mostly grew up in Austin, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you're not really from the rur- rural America. You're from the state that thinks every every city, major city that it has is rural for right. twisted reasons. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to uh, be fair, I grew up in Austin in, like, the 90s when it was not the Austin that it is now. So it was, I mean, it was much smaller then. And then it just expanded incredibly rapidly. Oh, fair enough. And I'm not, you know, I, I just think it's interesting because, like, I, I think we're both kind of rural writers. We both like rural settings, right? I, I prefer setting stuff, like, away from big towns. I mean, I did write one book set in L.A., but um, I also think L.A. is, like, an incredibly lonely place. And I think it actually makes an interesting setting in that in that sense. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I guess I'm thinking vis-a-vis Green Room. Mm-hmm. I'm just, th- I, I see this as a very interesting rural America movie for a couple of reasons. I think, number one, it, it makes tremendous use of the, the, of course, you know, horrifying, scary potential of rural America, which is very much mm-hmm. on display when you have a, a locked room uh, slasher at a isolated Nazi bar. I mean, it doesn't take much explanation to, to like tell people why that's um, plays on a, a specific sort of scariness. And kind of the flip side of that coin for me is I feel like a lot of people that I know, I don't want to point any fingers at anyone in particular, but I feel like a lot of people that I know who have never lived much outside the orbit of major cities, mm-hmm. um, which describes, you know, really most Americans once you factor in suburbs, um, yeah. you know, in our urbanized age, uh, I feel like people watch this and they're like, yep, that just confirms I never need to go to rural America because look what the fuck they're doing there. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. It's... I mean, it's such a good place to set a story, though, because all of the things that you need to do for a good horror film to take away sort of, like, fast help and communication, you can do in a rural setting much easier than in a city setting. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I've i been to many rural bars. I don't, to my knowledge, I haven't been to one that's a hangout for skinheads, but... <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, it is a big factor. In, it, it, it's not even the fact that it's rural. I think it's the fact that it's punk rock, because there is always that... There are always skinheads, and when you're in, like, a punk rock venue, like, not all of them are neo-Nazis, but some of them are, like... And even like even the obviously Sony spent time in in punk rock venues because a lot of the language that they use, like the music that they play, he he gets the whole vibe. And I mean, you know, he warns them that it's like a boots and braces type of type of place, which is you hear that and it's like, oh, they're either skinheads or Nazis or both. And I think that putting those two together, putting like the punk rock and the isolation of this rural area makes it such a like a distinctive um sort of authentic horror setting i'll just phrase that like the the thing that horror does and that the isolation does it, it just strips everything away so like you take everything that, that could help you and you take it away you take away everything but like the most basic hindbrain survival instinct and then that you you have like the the basic level of horror yeah, and I, and of course nowadays, if you're if you're setting this contemporary settings, you have to do something with phones. Mm-hmm. So in this one, I think it's literally that the band had taken all of their stuff, including most of their phones, back to the van, and then the one female band member had forgotten her phone, and then she goes mm-hmm. back, and that's when she sees the the person who'd been murdered. That kicks everything off. Well, I think because they're so poor, they all share a phone. Because remember, like they're texting <laughs> on just the one yeah. phone, so it's just hers. I um, didn't notice that. That's a great yeah touch, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But, but it, yeah, and the isolation, I mean, he does this even more in the next movie in, in Hold the Dark, which is, like, he took it to, like, the most extreme place where he could. It's it's in the Alaskan wilderness. Like, not even in a city in Alaska. It's in, like, just a group of homes in Alaska. And she even said, like, the, the, the main girl in that, she asks, like, how do you like Alaska and he was like oh well I've been to Juneau before and she said that she says like that's not Alaska like that's a completely <laughs> separate thing it's just like the as isolated as you can possibly get I have to say though Juneau is in, Juneau is in southeast Alaska I've been to southeast Alaska 
It is very isolated. <laughs> it's just more like it's temperate rainforest that doesn't freeze. Mm-hmm. But I I say this as someone who grew up in Wyoming and has spent a lot of my life out in open spaces, often quite remote in the Rockies. So I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not a super duper mountain man, but like I'm not, you know, I get outdoors a lot and have been outdoors yeah. a lot. And I have to say Southeast Alaska, I've never been anywhere in North, in North America that was like that level of, um, rugged the terrain mm-hmm. is just yeah it's pretty if you're a chance to go to like sitka alaska you should take it <laughs> i mean i'd i'd like to obviously i mean i'm also I, I know you know that i'm outdoorsy too i mean that's why i was hiking with my dog in the first place when i got sad but point being like there's like there's so many places in new zealand where you can kind of just get lost um i also think this would be a really good place to to set a horror but like so many people just go missing in the wilderness. They go missing in in the bush here. They go missing in the wild of Alaska. I don't. I mean, I don't want to get into into the wild because obviously I've talked too much about <laughs> these books already. But uh, you know, just the idea that like there are all these places that still exist today where you can get lost, where you can die very easily just because you're away from civilization. Yeah, I think one thing that I realize a lot posting on Twitter. Um, I, I go out on public lands a lot, uh, mm-hmm. especially when I'm back home in Wyoming. And I just people's reaction, they're like, oh, that's so cool. It's so amazing. I'm like, yeah, there's a lot of things like this in your country yeah. that you can access that like for all the shittiness of, of America in many different ways, we have a mm-hmm. tremendous amount of public land. I mean, it depends where you are. Wyoming obviously is, is has more of it um, than almost anywhere else in the lower 48. But it's just like. I just want to say to people, it's like, yeah, you think that looks cool? You can go do yeah. that, too. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I detour, but a friend of mine actually just released a, a book that's about the disappearances on uh, on public lands in the U.S., Ooh. John Billman. I forget the name of the book, but John Billman, look it up. Um, he wrote a whole, you know, major press book about disappearances on public lands in the U.S., but you're totally right. Like, yeah, I've I always totally been... that. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've been pressuring you to write a, basically a Scandinoir, but set in New Zealand. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I just, you know, just put it in the South Island and it's basically, it's basically Scandinavia. Yeah. When I, when I come to New Zealand, which I will do hopefully sooner rather than later, you know, once the world is happening again, um, <laughs> we're going to, I, I don't know if you're going to come to the South Island, but I'm determined to come visit you and then I'm going to go to the South Island. <laughs> oh yeah. No, no. I mean, I'll, I'll go to the South Island with you. I mean, you can come to Wellington, but like you definitely, Wellington's good for like two days and then you can see everything that there is to see in Wellington in two days and then you need to go other places. I feel like if you flew all the way to New Zealand to go look at big cities, you had yeah, the wrong you're, idea. Yeah, you're missing the point. Yeah. You should probably have gone to Paris or something. <laughs> right, right. It's like, I mean, it's a city. There's there's cool stuff, but like, you know, it's nothing you can't see anywhere else. You got to go, you got to go see the mountains and the lakes. Yeah. I mean, and I know that you can come with me because it's not like you have a job or anything. <laughs> Okay, you know what? <laughs> that's the one that's well, going to send you over the What is your job again? Sorry? I'm, I'm a graduate what, student. What I'm oh, a- oh, great, yeah. Making a real contribution to society there. <laughs> I, I, love, I love that all the teasing that I've done, that's the one that, uh, that pissed you off. <laughs> um, well, I think we're winding down a little bit here, and that's good. Um We've had a great conversation and I yeah. appreciate you confiding in our audience. We, you know, it, it, there are hundreds of us, Emma, hundreds. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I think, I think what I want to do now is I talked about some of your upcoming work. I know that you're pitching a survival story set in the rural wastelands yeah. and, uh, Canada, actually. Canada. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I know that you're working on a slasher, but I also yeah. want, 
because that's not that hasn't been sold to a publisher yet. I I hope it will be. I believe it will be. But I also want you to plug what you have out that people can buy. Oh, okay, yeah. So my first book is Devils Unto Dust, and that one is a horror western. So it takes place in West Texas in. Um, sort of like the 1860s and there's a, a virus spreading. So, I mean, now might not be a great time to read it or it, it might be a good time to read it. I don't know. It depends on whether you like reading about pandemic stuff during pandemics. Um, but, and then the <laughs> other one is, uh, it's basically like a neo-noir um, murder mystery ghost story uh, set in LA. And uh, there's a girl who can tell when people are going to die by touching them and she ends up having to help a ghost solve her own murder. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, yeah, I, Emma is, uh, a dear buddy of mine. And I think that especially if you have young readers in your life who are interested in YA, I will say that something Emma and I have discussed in the show before is that she writes YA that's actually for teens so I think that you should look at her books if you are looking to give gifts to teens or if you're one of the many adults who likes YA, um, that's great too. But I uh, highly recommend her work. highly recommend Emma's Twitter feed, which is one of her great masterpieces. Um, <laughs> you're only saying that because you helped boost me to 10,000. <laughs> well, I, I might take a little bit of credit for that. Yeah, I mean, you know, we, it's, 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 it's always good to see people that you've mentored flourish on the internet, Emma. <laughs> than you <laughs> see i you said that i didn't say that this time I, I didn't i didn't make any uh any older millennial jokes um but yeah so like you know like good like good aging millennials that we are i think probably we're both gonna log off and go listen to blink 182 right now um, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but I yeah, thank emma i've i've teased you a lot but honestly i really appreciate you coming on the show again and um Especially appreciate you confiding in our audience and thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you, everybody.